talks with several students of archaic lore in Boston, and letters to many others elsewhere gave him a growing amazement which passed slowly through varied degrees of alarm to a state of really acute spiritual fear. That acute spiritual fear is felt by many of us watching what some filmmakers have done to the work of H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing the 2019... Or, I did it again. 2009 adaptation of the Dunwich Horror, uh, written and directed by Lee Scott. Um, or, depending on where you're watching this, I'm assuming if you watched it on Prime Video, you might be confused as to why there's the Dunwich Horror and a, a film called Witches, The Darkest Evil, um, yes. that appear to be the same film with the exception of the fact that one of them, I think The Witches, is like six minutes longer. And to be honest with you... I have no idea why these two things exist as separate entities, but the same thing? I mean, like you said, like we were talking about it earlier before we started recording, it's a TV movie. Yeah. Um, Sci-Fi Channel, which is already a, you know, a, a good... Um, real good sign of quality. Real good sign of quality there. And, um, and again, like we alluded to in the last episode, um, the return of Dean Stockwell. Yeah. Uh, this time as Armitage. <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of like made the joke like <laughs> I love how your cat is just like yes. I'm, I'm on the screen now. She, listen, she was sleeping for like two hours straight, and now she is up and like, okay, pay attention to me now. Yes, I kind of I kind of find it funny. Um, it's it, it's like like an old one coming into the screen, like <laughs> oh my god, it's it's here, right. Walter, yep. like you know Wilbur, Will Wilbur, what yep. are you doing? So yeah, so this one, okay. <laughs> So this, a little, little this one yeah, he says this with one, yeah. Which, you know, I wanted because you had <laughs> you had messaged me earlier in the week and saying like, ooh, oh boy, this one. <laughs> but like, you know, I have I have a bigger, you know, uh, uh, more strong tolerance for this these kind of films. So mm-hmm. this morning I was like, you know what, I'm finally gonna watch it. Right, you know, when I woke up with and my girlfriend Corinne woke up mm-hmm. and. We had time. We ordered some breakfast, and I was like, "Look, I gotta watch this. I'll watch it with you." I'm like, "Okay." Like, if you want to leave, you. But she was determined to watch this thing. But mm-hmm. even from the very beginning, she's just like, for one, right in the beginning, you get this um, narration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like garbled as hell. Like <laughs> I'm like trying to hear what this guy's saying. Like, hello, who? Never again. No, like only one little bit of narration, and then nothing else. Yep. Mm-hmm. No other narration in this film. Okay. None. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't know if it was, and then you get this, you know, woman that's pregnant, Mm -hmm. wearing the worst wig ever, but we find out she wears wigs. Yeah. Um, And you have these, like, you know, you have the old, old man Waitley, Mm -hmm. from from what I gather, and alludes to him impregnating her. I think I missed that part. It's very brief. It's like, even my girlfriend didn't hear that, but I was like, no, no, the narrator says... And some say he he was the one that impregnated her, or something like it's something a little you know. Oh, okay, okay. It's it's already gross. Okay, cool. All right, where are we going with this? And then, like I said in the last episode, with about the tropes of new Lovecraft mm-hmm. is um baby first baby comes out and it's a regular boy. Yep, which is Wilbur. Mm-hmm. Fine, and then she still. Still has this ridiculous looking stomach, like it's like past her breasts. It's like it, clearly right? a pillow stuffed underneath the right. dress. Yeah, it was terrible, but fine, whatever. <laughs> Again, another film with a low budget, possibly. Yeah, but you know, at least they filmed it in Louisiana, which okay, I guess it's in Louisiana. Like you know, voodoo witchcraft, what kind of thing? I I, I get yeah. it. Fine, mm-hmm. but then we get the second child being like, oh, there's a there's a second one. And then the woman's reaction is so like, oh no, and like like a tentacle comes out. I'm like, and even my girlfriend goes, oh there we go. And I jokingly even right right like a second before it happened, I said, I bet you anything a tentacle comes out. And she starts laughing, and then all of a sudden the tentacle. She goes, how the fuck do you know? I'm like, because I've watched way <laughs> too many of these Lovecraft adaptations that yep. the easy way out is crazy tentacle. Yep, throw a tentacle in there. Throw a tentacle in there. That's that we should. If we ever make shirts, that should be a shirt. Just, a, just throw, throw a tentacle throw in a there. Throw a tentacle in there. Yep. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. we we got something there. But 
And that kind of told me what kind of movie this was going to be from that scene. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, well, you know, I'll be honest, the second scene, which is the introduction of Dean Stockwell's Armitage sure. and um, and what was her name? Um, the other of oh, Professor Faye Morgan. Yeah. A female, which she was a little more strong. Yep. Throughout most of this movie. I mean, we get a scene later, not not a weak scene, but, you know, where she kind of. You know, shows that she loves this other doctor who, I don't know if it was just me, Okay, but the whole time I'm watching this guy, this, um, who was he? He was, um, oh yeah, Wal Walter, right? Walter Rice? Yes. Or Professor Walter Rice, um, played by Griff First. Yeah. Not a bad actor, you know, per se, but the whole time I'm looking at him and I'm like, who does he look like? And he, he looked like, to me, right, right from the start, young Russell Crowe in Virtuosity. Like when Russell Crowe was like like slim, okay, yeah, when he was slim, you know, not when he got all kind of big and bulky looking. I I haven't seen Virtuosity. I was reminded of sort of like a poor man's Josh Lucas. That's a good that's a good pick. And then my girlfriend actually said, and I kind of appreciated. Like she's like, what does he kind of look like like a fake Ethan Embry? <laughs> and I started laughing. I'm like, well, yeah, he looks like Ethan Embry. If like you know. Mm -hmm. He kind of just said, "Eh, fuck it, yeah. whatever." No, it, it's uh, it's basically if Josh Lucas is like, "I'm gonna go in my trailer, my stand-in will will stand here as as you light the next scene." It's it's this guy, right? This guy's the stand-in, yeah. Right from the start, he's kind of like an asshole, like like he has an asshole face, and then he treats his one student like the nerd of the of this. And like my coming from my girlfriend, it's funny because she's also while also being a you know a funeral director, she's also a teacher at. The, the big school that is for funeral directors. She teaches like multiple courses on anatomy mm -hmm. and how to mix chemicals and all this stuff. So very, very like smart. So, and she goes, you know, before I would hate those students when I was a student myself, the yep. ones that would have ah, miss professor, you mm -hmm. know, she's like down. She's like, I hope for students like that. Cause at least they're paying attention. <laughs> at least they're like giving a shit. Yeah. And I kind of laughed. I'm like, that makes sense from a teacher's point of view. Like, no, like you want a student like that. And he's just like, I'm going to call on every other student that's not paying attention to my class. Fine, <laughs> I'll call on you, you nerd. Yeah, I guess it's supposed to, yeah, like you said, establish him as sort of an asshole. Right. It's weird. Like, I want to I wanna back up a little bit because, as you said, yes, like yes, the, yes. The, the opening scene is uh, the, the Dunwich Horror from 1970 and Witches or the Dunwich Horror, whatever yes. you want to refer to this one. They, they share the same opening scene, which is yes. kind of a, a reenactment of this legend of this woman who gave birth to these two sons. And one was allegedly monstrous. And yes, I, I knew that it would that I was in for a rough ride with this when you see this woman who is very clearly one wearing a wig and two wearing a pillow under her dress. But I was also like, OK, but let's see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. maybe what this film is trying to do. And um, I have to say I was cautiously optimistic uh, Me too. because too. for two reasons one dean stockwell and jeffrey combs yeah yeah okay good good and and here's the funny thing when i saw the end dean stockwell quote i thought oh he's in it for like two minutes mm -hmm. i was actually happy for both dean stockwell and jeffrey combs they're in this throughout the film yeah you know and they do have an interaction together which was like i'm like right. i was i was blown away by that because usually in these super low budget films, they get like, you know, these good character actors that will make the film at least a little more, you know, respectable. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you get, oh, you have Jeffrey Combs, okay. And that, and that's how I kind of look. I mean, I know Jeffrey Combs is in a lot of shit. I know that as oh, yeah. as a fan of his, I know that. But I know he's gonna give it his all. Yes, and he does in this film. He, he does, does his best. He does his best Sling Blade. Uh, like, yeah. you know, like fucking weird choice of a character. <laughs> But, you know, I give it all, like, you know, how, how long did he have to have his tongue on his bottom lip to hold it out? Yeah. It, it, and talk, yeah. you know? One thing you can say about both of them is <laughs> yeah. neither, neither of these guys phone it in. No, no, they don't, which I, would, I wouldn't blame them that they did. You know, like, oh, like, you know, you know, how many times have you seen a film and it's like, oh, and someone. You go, okay, oh, cool, so-and-so's in this. And they're like, they're behind a desk and, it, and you could tell they just, they just need that that paycheck to pay for their pool. That's it. <laughs> yeah. These guys are, you know, like, like Dean Stockwell's old school Hollywood. Dean Stockwell's in one of my favorite train wrecks of a TV miniseries, which is the Langoliers. Oh, okay. 
Okay, he and he's basically the Stephen King stand-in in that film. Mm. Like he's the one that's like, but he, but he's doing like the the weirdest like William Shatner impersonation. Like, <laughs> like I must deduce what's going on here. And you're like, Dean, like like what are you doing with this character? But he goes full force. And then every time I see him in a movie, like I like same with Scott Bakula. Whenever I see one of them in a film or a TV series that's different. I just think it's like one of the characters is going from body to body. Like it's it's Al. Al is like trying to find, you know, like his buddy. And he's like going through every film. And like the bad ones are like tough to get out of. And But then I don't know if it was just me. Like that the intro of Dean Stockwell and his assistant, you know, the Professor Faye. Um, did it, I, I wasn't sure if this was a TV movie, but that scene alone felt like the pilot. Like and like a like an introduction to a, like a pilot episode to like a this quirky you know scientist with his you know badass female like sidekick that go and fight evil beings like like a supernatural type of show you know what I mean yeah monster of the week like and the beginning is like a very very like it almost feels like the beginning of the movie Constantine where he goes <laughs> and like he's fighting this demon and this girl mm-hmm. and it's like. What kind of demon is it? I don't know. I'm Caitlyn. And then, you know, it's like, okay. So yeah, you yeah. go full. Mm-hmm. But it's a weird scene because, like, it's like, okay, it's an introduction showing what – I had to say why it's there. It's there to showcase that these two believe in the whole mythos of, you know, this stuff. And they have fought it. They they are fighting this shit, you yeah. know. And then we introduced the, the other professor – who doesn't believe in it, but used to run with them, used to have a relationship with this girl. Yeah. And used to, you know, and they're still friendly, but to an extent, like he doesn't believe in that shit, Mm -hmm. so to speak. You know what I mean? He's like, that's all a crock of shit. Like, you know, it's kind of like, and like, it's basically the whole movie is to prove to this guy, no, this shit's real. Yeah. And it is, it's it's an interesting scene. I, don't like it for reasons we'll get into, but at least you right. can understand what they're doing as introducing Armitage and, uh, uh, is it Faye Morgan or Morgan Faye? I have Faye Morgan. Um, Faye Morgan, yeah. Yeah, the actress is Sarah Leaving. I don't know. It's L-I-E-V-I-N-G, so I don't know if it's Living or Leaving, but um, who has also yeah. worked with Griff First in other films. But, um, oh. but it introduces them as, like, these are the experts they know that what we're seeing is just the tip of the iceberg and there's more shit in the world, you know, uh, than even that we can possibly comprehend. Um, so it is, it's an interesting idea. And it yes. does kind of set, like I said, it kind of lays the groundwork for me being cautiously optimistic in the sense of I don't necessarily agree what you're doing with the text, Lee Scott, but I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt because on top of that, um, in the script, they also weave in other elements of the Cthulhu mythos into the exposition, not in a way that draws attention to themselves, but just kind of in a way that kind of sets it up as like, oh, there is a larger world or universe at play. They they reference Charles Dexter Ward, the city of Innsmouth, um, the witch house, and it's just kind of dropped casually to kind of like, not so like, eh, eh, look at us, but more in, in, in a way where it's like, okay, this sort of makes sense organically, um... Right. They, the uh, Faye Morgan is is a new woman character that they introduce and give some agency to. So hooray for that! And yeah. as we talked about in the last episode with the Dunwich Horror, there's no real clear protagonist in that one. There's no character that kind of goes through an arc. But in this one, Professor Walter Rice is. He is the skeptic who goes through that arc of kind of mm-hmm. believing at the end, and that is right. and and that's. Good. That's interesting. It's it's, 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 yeah, it's interesting. It's refreshing. It's and it's done decently, you know, to a point. Like like I was, I was kind of like, let me see where this is gonna go, mm-hmm. you know. And I can't always say that about most of these adaptations. So I go, <laughs> okay, yeah. I have some hope. I had some hope. Mm-hmm. But the 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 justice that they do to the story, or at least the inventiveness they bring to it, is oftentimes counteracted or nullified by some of the weird-ass decisions that Lee Scott makes as a writer-director. And if you're wondering to yourself, what else has Lee Scott done as a writer-director? I am here to edify you. Lee Scott has done a few titles with a a small production company you may have heard of called The Asylum, um, who has produced such titles as Pirates of Treasure Island, 
Exorcism, The Possession of Gail Bowers, and Transmorphers. Um, we talked, so we talked in the last episode about Corman and AIP kind of mm-hmm. throwing out a lot of low budget stuff to kind of um, capitalize on the box office success of a title of a franchise. The Asylum does that. Transmorphers is, of course, ripping off of Transformers. Exorcism and Possession yeah. of Gail Bowers was ripping off of, uh, I believe, The Last Emily Exor- Exorcism of Emily Rose. And then Pirates of Treasure Island, of course, was ripping off of yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. So this practice is still alive and well. I, I, one of my favorites was um, uh, Battle LA. They, they, uh, they, I think they did like Battle Los Angeles or something, or, or Battle California. I, mean, I don't know, yeah. It was something like that, yeah. I kind of love, like... I think when the um the Avengers was made, they made their own version, but it was all like fantasy literature characters. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like a darker tinge and like I pre like, you know, they're all you know, most of them are terrible. Actually they made a fun but stupid like Sherlock Holmes adaptation when the Robert Downey Jr. one came out. Mm-hmm. But it was one of the more enjoyable ones because at least you could tell they were trying to do something weird with it. Right. Like this robotic, like robotic weird steampunk shit. Yeah. In it, and it's like a solemn graphic, so it doesn't look good. But it's like a dinosaur, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a robotic dinosaur. So you go, okay, whatever. But the actor they got for Sherlock Holmes was a guy who had never acted before in his life, <laughs> and you could tell, you could tell. But I appreciate that it, it's as they call it the mockbuster. Yes, yeah, you know, and you know what? I tried to get a job with them years ago when they were looking for pitches, and oh. I pitched some movies to them, oh. and never heard back. So. <laughs> I had a few that I thought, but all my pitches were original, so maybe that's why I didn't get back to me. Yeah, no, you, you gotta you gotta be ripping off people, James. I'm sorry, but yeah, I know, I I know, I should have been like, you know, instead of the Joker, I'm, I I want to make the Jester. Okay, <laughs> okay, is that good? Yep. Oh, you, you're hired. Come, 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 work for us. Um, but <laughs> but so just like how we said, knowing that Roger Corman was an EP on the Dumbwich Horror. Knowing that the yeah. uh, a guy who worked with the asylum was the the writer director behind this one automatically keys you into what kind of movie this is, and I dared myself foolishly to hope that this would be something yeah. that was intriguing, and that Dean Stockwell and Jeffrey Combs would bring some dignity to this film. And spoilers, they do not. Um, I, I I wonder, I wonder if we should talk about this now or later. But I was even thinking as we were talking about the Dunwich Horror, what really is the difference when it comes to artistic credibility or respectability between what Corman was doing and what the guys at the asylum do now. Well, and that's kind of like, no, I'm glad you bring that up because Corman was coming from, yes, I want to make a buck, but he, he would hire people that had talent, like a lot of talent, like, like hell, you look at some of the people that work behind the scenes, like, James Cameron came from the world of Corman. That's right, yeah. He 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 did he did the set design, mm-hmm. and the way Corman, you know, Cameron would make the set because he had no money. But how do you make a how do you make a spaceship? Back then, McDonald's had stuff in styrofoam cases. They would go dumpster diving for those styrofoam cases, <laughs> spray paint them silver, mm-hmm. and put them up on the walls of the spaceship to look like a weird. Sp- and you wouldn't know unless someone told you, and then you look carefully and you go, oh, my God, that didn't cost a dime. Yeah. But it looked so good. That's a difference. It's people that were trying, and, you know, no knock, you know, who knows? Like, like a lot of these filmmakers for these, um, you know, I, I can't say they're just doing it for money. Like, like they're probably doing it like they really love, like, these stupid films and, like, you know, and, and I get a kick out of some of them. I'm mm. not going to lie. Okay. But, but the difference is... They feel cheap, mm. and you know what? That, and it's weird to say that because they are cheap, but they feel cheap. They feel like like a few bucks went into it, even if they spent more. Like the the CGI never looks good. No, nope. always looks like ridiculous. You know, always terrible. And yeah, but like you get Corman like produced stuff. They were tr- they were really trying to do as much as they could with the limitations. Yeah, they tried to the sets were made to look like grandiose even though they didn't have the money they 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 would do what they could they would like i said they would dumpster dive they would ask for favors they would like hey can we do this well can we borrow like some clothes from your store well as long as you advertise so you'll you would randomly get a storefront as the advertisement for that store mm-hmm. 
in some of his films. You know what I mean? So, and you know, a lot of times they would try to like, they would change the story depending on the situation. Like, you know, the dumb which hard for them, they made it a present day film mm-hmm. because of the limitations of like making another gothic fairy, you know, gothic tale. Sure, was cost too much. You know, like let's make it today. This one is also a present day mm-hmm. adaptation, but like, but it's transported to Louisiana. But I think the only reason is because they had, they probably had a like a deal to do it in Louisiana. Sure, you know what I mean. There's no other reason. Like, why you know the Dumbo Char, but it's in Louisiana. Uh, I, I think there's legitimately kind of an element of I don't want to say necessarily tokenism, but. Um... When when mm-hmm. when this when this film specifically kind of uh, leans heavily into this idea of another dimension and the dimension of the mind, um, yes, and they kind of want this excuse to go down to the bayou and have those kind of like creepy sort of gothic shots, and and then uh, go to see this spiritual guru who floats into the room, like almost they like kind of want an excuse to kind of lean into the the witchcraft and the that extra dimensional stuff, and they just kind of like hey. Louisiana makes sense, right? Because that's where voodoo and that's where magic and all that kind of stuff comes from. And it almost kind of seems like they want to borrow spirituality from that atmosphere, which already sort of exists, or or at least exists in right. the idea of pop culture. Yeah, but it's just a very weird like choice to me. Like, like I didn't mind. It, I I like it in like films that are like okay, let's talk about zombieism, like original, you know, the original zombies, you know, of, yeah, yeah, you know burying someone alive and drugging them and they come out zombified like not knowing who they are to me that's scary that that shit's you know, like you know um something like you know uh the serpent in the rainbow oh yeah that that film still like freaks me out when i watch it like just the, i remember the trailer as a kid freaked the shit out of me because of like bill pullman like pounding on the like oh, yeah. don't bury me i'm not i'm dead. not dead yeah mm-hmm. that's horrifying like to me that depiction would be good, but like this film, it's like okay, we get the bayou, and like I think it's just an excuse to show like the scenery, which you know looked pretty good, like for the most part. Yeah. Um, but then I I thought it was just comical that one scene when they're on like the riverboat, mm-hmm. and it goes on for like a minute and a half, <laughs> them just sailing around, and then they go to that you know to where what's his name um Olis, whatever seven hundred year old man. With yeah, the yeah, worst yeah. eyebrows, you know, ever. Yeah, and 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 then it, as it turns out, they were apparently in his house hallucinating on the floor the entire time. Yeah. Okay. That. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So, spo- not even spoiler. Whatever. <laughs> like they go to this guy to learn where the real Necronomicon is. Yeah, the, the missing page of uh, yeah, seven hundred fifty-one of the Necronomicon. Yeah, seven fifty-one. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you remember that too. Yep. Um, I found that comical. Are you looking for this? It's missing the same page, 751. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But so you have this, you know, central thing. They have to find this so they can combat this evil being. Okay, cool. But like you said, they drink this like weird. I'm going to guess it's some weird mushroom psychedelic tea. Sure. But then they're going. And, you know, it was a cool like, you know, them going through each like hurdle trying to find and like. Why is this like it was only two floors this house, but we're on a third floor now. Mm-hmm. But then they find out, oh, it's the house is the book. Okay, 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 fine. But then, then he's remembering that they were drugged. Yes. So, was the whole thing in his house still? <sighs> which is which is I don't know. Which is funny because now that you're talking about that, listen, right. the 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 I don't even want to say nitpicky, but the the more micro complaints that we we could pull apart on this like okay how stupid of an idea is it that the house is the necronomicon or whatever but let's step back and say if you have a this is my biggest problem with this film which is saying a lot because the no budget on this film is a big problem i mean before i move on you talked about this idea of sort of the intention and what they were doing behind it whereas corman and his productions kind of do work within their confines, and in the case of the Dumbwich Horror, shoot around the fact that we don't have the budget to show Wilbur Waitley's horrific, monstrous uh, other brother. In this one, and in stuff like Transmorphers and Pirates of the... the, whatever the fuck that movie is, they... Yeah, they show it. They lean into it. 
And it's like, we're going to show you this, even though it's going to look fucking terrible, we're going to give you Wilbert Waitley's brother, which is like a mixture of a Galactus cloud and this weird, once again, tentacled creature. Um, No, no, it's funny you say that, because when they finally finally show this climatic battle, and then, spoiler, Dean Stockwell gets taken away. Right, Like, for some reason. I forgot about that. Gets eaten. Gets eaten by it, whatever. Because. But... If you there's an 80s, like late 80s, maybe even 1990 Canadian horror film called The Brain, mm-hmm. and it's about this. I love it. I love this film, but it's like very low budget, but it's got this big brain monster from like supposedly came from maybe space. Mm-hmm. I hell, I, for all I fucking know, I could probably tie it into a Lovecraftian adaptation type thing. But the monster in it's like this big brain type monster with a evil looking face with teeth and stuff. Mm-hmm. This thing looked like it's like like um simple brother, like he looked like it. Like if you look like I want to put up a side by side comparison because I'm like, wait that it, and and like my, my girlfriend's just like, what the hell is that thing? Yeah, I'm like, that's supposed to be the brother. And it's it's one thing this the that Lee Scott seems to not understand that made Lovecraft so effective in his writing was this idea of like I'm going to describe a little bit to you and it's not going to make sense and so your brain's going to fill in like what the fuck does this thing look like yeah and then they show you what this thing looks like and you're fully right not only disappointed but kind of laughing because of how bad of a quality job they do in making this thing yeah because like it's just so bizarre looking and then like Dean Stockwell's trying to act the hell out of being scared when it's first coming out of the door and you only see flashes of it Mm -hmm. which I thought was a better depiction of like the invisible force yeah that that I would because it's very quick and I'm like okay that's not too bad like I could see what it looks like but it's really briefly so that would be a little more but then it's like no we're just gonna show you this fucking thing completely. I think this film could have been served really well by putting more money into like foley work because yes here's so here's here's one thing because this gets back to my one of my biggest complaints is this idea of you set up the fact that you have professor rice as the uh the protagonist because he's going to go from skeptic to believer but here's two problems with that number one from that opening scene where armitage and um Faye faye show up we know for a fact that there's magic oh. conspiracy like we're, we are we shown so so there's no tension because like well no he, we, ha- he has yeah. to come around eventually well no we know from even the scene before that one with the birth with the stupid tentacle thing right you're like oh that's what this is like so yeah like you said there's no tension but at see, all but see, it's just like when's he gonna come around to it yeah but see even that with the narrator i don't know why i put the yes. weird emphasis in there the narrator um you could even maybe <laughs> believe that what he's doing is narrating an, True. Good a, point. A, 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 a story that is, you know, a legend that's been, been going around, basically. Um, Fine, yeah. And But then we have this scene where Armitage and Faye show up, and he's like, shooting oh. shit out of his hand. He's exercising yeah. demons. So we know that it's real. So the journey of, of, of this skeptic is kind of undercut because we know, we know he's going to get there. Well, yeah, you hope he does. If he doesn't, he's an idiot. Yeah. But if they show up claiming to be these experts and name dropping all these weird fucking Sumerian names or whatever, and then going upstairs, and instead the camera just stays with the family who is hearing, um, uh, yeah, screams and yeah, then we kind of add this thing like, okay, there's something weird going on here, but we just have to kind of believe them. But then maybe it leads credibility to this idea of like, oh yeah, we understand why Rice left because these people are fucking weird. And right. we don't actually know what they've been doing behind closed doors. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, with the, um, it's kind of like I, I, what's weird about it is I had this weird, like, in the back of my head at first, like, kind of an idea like you had where you don't see it. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, like, you, you're not sure if they're really doing it. And it's kind of like the whole thing with the Conjuring movie series, which I like, mm-hmm. but about the Warrens, who are sham artists. Yeah. <laughs> No fucking secret. They were sham artists. They, yeah. they, they, and they, sadly, they preyed on people that were not necessarily weak minded, but, you know, had stuff that they believed was real. Mm-hmm. And they went, you know, they went full force. Oh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to protect you. We're going to take this demon away. The movies make it cool because they are fighting these real demons, these yeah. real, like, whatever they are. 
but in reality, they were awful people. Like, like maybe not, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, they weren't truthful. So, like, I almost kind of wish, like, even those movies, the Conjuring movies, but, of course, it was when Leslie Ann Warren was still alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she just passed away. But, like, they didn't want to, like, depict her, you know, even though it's all the stuff that's come out even since. Like, oh, well, no, this is all bullshit. I'm like, well, no shit, it's bullshit. You know, like, <laughs> of course it is. But that's the point of, like, but like you said, like, you there is no secret. It's like, okay, they fought this, like, demonic force in her, and okay. Yeah. Th- then you kind of wonder why he left, like, like, what did he not see? Yeah, because, granted, he doesn't see that scene at the beginning, but because we have... Right. Automatically, there's a disconnect between us and our our protagonist, because, like, well, come on, you idiot. We know it's for real. So we're just waiting yes. around for him to come out. And, and now that I'm thinking, like, yes, if that scene later on, if we are to interpret it as we do, in the sense of, like, they were just kind of tripping him, like, tripping balls on the floor of this guy's house then doesn't that also support his theory right. that this is all just not real because Bullshit. it was a mind, it was a drug trip. Right. I thank you. In a weird way it would have worked so much better and then finally the reveal is like no this shit's real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he actually believes so then he can fight back. Mm-hmm. He knows the words. He know, you know, cuz he's he's a scholar. He knows this shit, but it would have been some such a more like a much more interesting film instead of okay, let's get get to it already like like even like when the guy, you know, Solus or whatever the hell his name, Olus, comes in floating. Ah, cheap parlor trick. <laughs> what fucking cheap parlor trick is that? Like, mm-hmm. like unless you were already drugged. You know, they, there was ways they could have done it, like, where if they drank... Actually, didn't they... Weren't they drinking at first? They, they, Yeah, they did. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you could have done a more interesting thing, like, with that. You know, I don't know. It's just... It's, it's sad, like, we become, like, you know, like, you know, um revisionist like we wish we could like just revise and and oh oh, okay so so the other thing with this film that pissed me off so much okay was the constant editing choice of skipping like a like like a frame yes thank you okay yes and like flashing flat and look i don't mind it if it's done well or at least fun like like, because my girlfriend was also livid with this shit. She's like, "Oh, stop with that!" Like every time it happened, and I'm like, "I'm like, if you had a drinking game with this, you'd be that you'd be dead by the end of the movie." Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, and like, I and I, I was trying to, at first when it first started happening, but so I'm like, she said, like, "Why do you keep doing that?" I'm like, "Well, maybe it's because of like, time is weird. Like, you know, so it's they're closer to the path, you know, to the to the doorway, but then it happens with characters that aren't there." Like, just randomly. And you go, okay, now you fucking... You're just trying to be, like, cool and artistic. Like, oh, creepy. Isn't that creepy? No, it's not. Like, it's not creepy. It's stupid. It's annoying. Like, you know, because it'll be when, like, freaking, like, Jeffrey Combs is, like, trying to act the shit out of a scene. And then, like, flashes forward, like, three frames. It's like, what are you doing? Boop, boop, boop. And you're like, no. Like, stop that, please. Like... Like, I want to see a version... That, okay, so I'm glad the one you saw also had that, because I don't understand that aesthetic at all. Like, it, it's just so... It was more annoying than anything. I mean, if I want to... If I'm trying to give them a benefit of the doubt, which I don't want to do, mm-hmm. I'm... No, but it's fine, too. No. Yeah, but but I, I'm guessing it's sort of like you're saying, they're trying to visually indicate that the Whiteleys are a weird family in the sense of because they're trying to open a portal... Right. The time and space and, like, dimensional things are strange around them or with them. Yes. But that's fine. We get it the first time. You don't have to keep doing this. And Every so often, if you trickled it in, yeah. it'd be fine. But it's, like, every scene. And it's such a simple, and I'm using that in, in a uh, pejorative sense, a simple effect yeah. that I was reminded of a short film that I made in undergrad in which I was trying to duplicate the effect in Jacob's ladder when he's being wheeled through the hospital and you see like oh, the, the, the creature the like flashing faces. Yeah, yeah. It's shaking it, which they did by, because they, they shot it at a very low frame rate and then played it back at regular speed to speed it up. I didn't realize that. So crazy. I just, I, I tried to do the same thing in a short film, in which I just shot like something for five minutes in a row and sped it up for 10 seconds. And it comes off as looking stupid. No, it no. I've tried some, some similar, and it, like it never looks right. Like, like yeah, Jacob's ladder does it 
phenomenally well. Really well. And, like, even something as ridiculous as, like, the House on Haunted Hill remake with the... Actually, funny enough, Jeffrey Combs is the evil doctor in that. Oh, yeah. Which is fucking funny. Oh, yeah. He comes out of nowhere. He, like, it's like he's all the way down, like, the hallway. And then all of a sudden, it, like, fast motion. He's, like, right there in front of you. Yeah. And it's done fun. It's a a fun effect. You go, Mm -hmm. oh, shit. Okay. He's there. This is just, like, flash or, like, you see something real fast on the face and you go, the hell was that? Like, like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, like, you almost feel like you're having a stroke like, yeah. while watching this film. Yeah, or, or you which, almost kind of think at first, like, was that a mistake? Was it a problem with my right. stream? Like, no, it, that's exactly. Yeah, the first time it happened, I thought like, oh shit, maybe it's it's lagging, it's lagging a little bit. You, you mentioned Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> he he is he's doing yeah. he's swinging for the fences in this one. Um, oh, he is, and he it, is. It, it is a more quote unquote accurate portrayal of the Wilbur Waitley character, I guess. Right, creepy, like looking, like like not, not like aesthetically pleasing at all. No, you you do get the sense that this guy has a smell to him that is unpleasant to be around. Right, like like spoiled milk. Yeah, exactly. That's the, what I got from him. The problem is, <laughs> yes, we spend so much time with the rest of his family, in which they're kind of doing right. like this Firefly Firefly family or right. like Texas Chainsaw Massacre Texas, thing. Yes. That's exactly when they first, like, when it's 10 years later, and that, and I'll get into that in a sec. It's 10 years later, and now old man Waitley is in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. I guess he's really old now. Whatever. But I'm like, right away when he's rolling, he's like, is he home? Like, like I'm like, does he got some for your, your brother? You know, like your son? <laughs> yeah, your yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And right away, I'm like, and like you said. Uh, right away, I look at my girlfriend, I'm like, what is this, Texas Chainsaw Massacre? And she starts laughing, going, yeah, this, it, it feels like the saw... We, we were waiting for, you know, Leatherface to come out, like, <laughs> you know, It would have made sense, more more so. Yeah, it's... They're, they're, the, they're the antagonists, that's fine. We can establish at the beginning. We don't need to keep going back to them and seeing their dysfunctionality to the point of... Right. Did, did I remember correctly? Because there are many moments in this film that I just tuned out in terms of my attention. No, I, I yeah, I watched it today, so I'll, I'll be able to pinpoint the the mother feeds the yes. grandfather to yes yeah like she yes well what's weird about it is like we're we're, we're, in, a, we're in a scene where it's like whatever's happening to um Faye and um walter yeah and then it flashes to like the home and the grandfather's on the floor already <laughs> and then she's like yelling at him like that's for calling me stupid you know blah blah it's like what are you doing blah, blah. and then she just leaves him there on the bottom of the steps, and then the you know the evil brother mm-hmm. just grabs him and drags him off. Yeah, why? And you're like, she didn't want to be left alone. She kept saying to Wilbur, "Don't leave me alone here." Why? It, no explanation. Just done. Yeah, you're dead. And especially because it does seem to be the antithesis of what the Waitley family in the story was doing, in the sense of opening the portal so the so Yogg Sothoth can come through. I mean, like it, it, it's it's a dark, dysfunctional, well, not dysfunctional. It's like a dark, evil family unity. But there is a family unity in the sense of like because right. part of the family is a fucking old one that impregnated the mom. Which I'm saying is just weird because like in this version of the, it, it alludes to that the father impregnated the daughter. But make, that makes no sense. Yeah, and, and once again, like, like it only makes sense if we're to believe that that opening story is just kind of like uh, a whispers around like, the town or whatever. And so, and okay, so here's my other, like, knowing the story, mm-hmm. I knew about the, you know, the passing, you know, the, the passing of time, 10 years, but they've, he's, he's grown beyond what a 10 year old would be. Yeah. Okay, fine. Fine. But here's the thing. If you're not familiar with Lovecraft's story mm-hmm. at all, yeah. if you're just watching this thing, like from my girlfriend's point of view, and I, you know, like that's why I like watching movies where, like, I didn't want to say anything to her, but right away it's like it says 10 years later. Mm-hmm. And now, and now, and at first she's like, so who's Jeffrey Combs? So I'm like, oh, that's the, the son that was born. She goes, but it's only been fucking 10 years. I'm like, well. <laughs> Because, like, I had, like, it's almost I had had, like, a cliff notes for her. <laughs> but there's no explanation. Like, it just goes 10 years later. Oh, yeah. He's, that's what he looks like now at 10. Like, from, from a person from the outside, like, like, the thing with Lovecraft, I'm not saying to explain everything, but you should have a little allusion to it where 
Like, oh, you've grown, you've grown a lot in these last ten years. That's all he had to say, and be like, oh, that's weird. Like, that's he's actually ten. Or maybe don't include. You know what that. I mean? Like, yeah. you know, I don't know. Yeah, that too. Yeah, like, you, yeah, like, cause, and also that first scene felt like it was like so in the past. So mm-hmm. that's supposed to be in 1999 when that scene, <laughs> mm-hmm. the pregnancy happened. Yeah. So now it's 2009, and it's like, I also love like Jeffrey Combs's uh, garb in it. <laughs> Yeah, like he looked like he looked like he was like cosplaying for Dark City, like for some reason. He looks kind of like he's a he's he's trying to be Kane from Poltergeist Two. <laughs> that's a, yes, yes, that's the other one, which which I which I I wish I was watching that instead. But uh, <laughs> which saying something because Poltergeist Two isn't great. Oh, uh, it's not great at all, but it's fun. Yeah, but it's not great. Kane is a great addition to that whole mythos. It, it but, does it does have yeah. Craig T. Nelson vomiting up a person. It does, which. Which sounds very Lovecraftian to me. <laughs> yeah, so you have this text, which isn't even text in the film, of like, yeah, well, he's aging this way because he is part monster, and yet the way that the yeah. film conveys that is once he's killed, he just becomes oh. a skeleton dripping with goop a little bit. No, but no, but oh, no, but see, you forgot to mention that when he gets shot by Dean Stockwell, tentacles come out of him that's right okay. and then and then he drops dead <laughs> with a skull face like a skull mask yeah. you can see his eyes underneath mm. yeah no but but once again it goes back to our new mantra <laughs> i guess just throw some tentacles in there supposedly some of the like a lot of the symbols and stuff from the necronomicon is from the book version that you know that we were talking about like which yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was something I did want to get to. But yeah, the the, and it, it, the book made a cameo in Stanley's The Color Out of Space. It was on uh, the daughter Lavinia's um, bed, I believe, at one point. But yeah, yeah. In, in 1977, there was this book uh, published called The Necronomicon. And it, it's called The Simon Necronomicon because it, it, it allegedly has no author, but there is an introduction written by this person named Simon. And it has all these grimoires and spells and stuff, which it, it, it like references... Some of Lovecraft's gods, but it references a lot of like other things. And the book itself is, let's be honest, it's probably not a real spell book, um, but it is is clearly written by someone who is a fan of Lovecraft and is a fan of that Arcanum and that sort of stuff. So, um, right. But but mostly the book is about like um, how to you know different gates and how to summon uh, familiars and 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 spells and that sort of thing. So it's it's weird how. Yeah, basically all the incantations and the symbols we see in the film are pulled from that book, which in itself is kind yeah. of fan fiction. So it almost way it sort of canonizes fan fiction, which is only partially inspired by that. It's it's a weird, like yes. it's a weird meta that doesn't really make sense. Yeah, because then he also like mentioned the whole thing with the Necronomicon, like from Sumeria. Yeah, and like the Sumerian like writer, mm. and it shows the writer himself writing the book. But of course, oh my god, I forgot. Can't about that. touch him. Like, yeah, I was just laughing with that. Like, he touches and he just disappears. It's a, a hologram of Abdul Alhazred writing the Necronomicon, yes. except clearly a guy in a beard, like like a fake beard. Yes, yeah. Like I'm like, <laughs> like the whole time, I'm like, what is this? Like I'm like, and they're there, and it's like cut really weirdly because they're there, mm-hmm. and then it cuts back to like him just by himself, but they're still in the room. It's like very weird cuts, like, and then they they break through the wall and clearly see not oh. even a CGI construction of a city, but what is clearly like a print. Oh. Of, it's yeah, it's like you know what? It, no, you know what it looked like? It looked like um, like a um screensaver for your computer. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, but it had a little bit of motion going, very little, mm-hmm. but just enough that your screen won't burn. <laughs> but also oh. projected on a big screen, so you can see that this yes. is clearly like an illustration. Oh. So bad. Even, even like my girlfriend just looked at me and goes, Oh, that looks bad. I'm like I'm like, Yes. All of this looks bad. Yeah. And like like every every little thing, like like the mon like like and like like we said, you know, we don't mind limitations in budget. It's that's not a deal breaker, but it's when you don't do anything with the limitations or you try like you they must have thought they were making like this really high concept movie. And listen, I and I, I don't wanna imply that happy endings are bad but oh yeah this one when you're yeah. when your happy ending revolves around one that character arc of the the acceptance of belief and faith in something which also 
the the man yeah. of faith in me is like the way that he defines faith to his classroom. That's not he he kind of says like it, it's like faith is sort of like a belief in magic, which like no, actually faith is belief no. in something that you have no evidence of. So that's actually the opposite right. of what you're talking about. Right? Yeah, I was about to say right. That's that's what faith is. You you you're like you you try to explain it, but like to someone that doesn't have faith, it they go, "What the hell are you talking about?" Well, it's you know that's what faith. You know, I believe in something that I can't tangibly say. Oh, I've seen it. But yeah, he's full of sh- like he's a he's a terrible teacher, is what I'm trying to say. You don't have to have faith to believe in the old ones or the elder gods when you've seen a fucking old. You've seen one. it. <laughs> yes, you fought it. You 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 saved your now your girlfriend again from being sucked up by like chanting this fucking shit. <laughs> and like that's not faith. That's that's oh, it's true. It's it's like any. It's like okay, it's like Ghostbusters. And then the second Ghostbusters, everyone forgets that there were fucking ghosts in the city. Yes, thank you. Okay. And you go, how do you forget? It's only five (laughs) years later. I would remember that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd I'd probably still be in therapy for it. But this is like, yeah, I saw this fucking demon, like, monster from, like, space or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I defeated it. But I have faith in it. Yeah, that's... That's not faith. That's a that's observation and right. um, confirmation is what that is. Right, actually. right. I yeah is. I don't yeah. Uh. And and then also they're together at the end because she has you know she's still in love with him, which the, the love story is undercooked. Doesn't make any oh, sense. Doesn't make any sense. Like I don't feel any like like I, I don't know. It's like they were together for six years and like he never said I love you once there until. Now that they're just hanging out. That's another thing for any kind of a, a, aspiring filmmakers. If you're going to adapt something and invent a woman character that didn't exist in the text, first off, cool. Secondly, yeah. don't make her arc falling in love with the man. Like, how hard is that? Uh, terrible. I, I was just disappointed. Like, you know, like, I like a good, cheesy, trashy film, too. Like, but this is something I will never watch again at all. It almost feels like with with doing, you know, like how whenever Stanley gets to doing the Dunwich Horror, how is that one going to match up? It makes me look forward to Stanley's uh, yes. adaptation because, I mean, in a very basic level, it can't be any worse than this one. But also knowing like and, and doing more or, or reading more interviews or listening to more interviews. If you haven't listened to his interview on postmortem with Mick Garris, you absolutely That's should. It's fantastic. Um, but he talks about like, he's very much into actual magic and incantations and spirituality yeah, and that sort of thing. So he's definitely, is. if he is going to take that route and include that in the Dunwich Horror, it's going to be a coming from the perspective of a guy who listen, whether you believe in it or not, he appreciates and respects that stuff. And is going to try and do some service to it, basically. You could basically say he's he's a man of that has faith in the magics and whatnot, which yeah. is good. Like I kind of like how Alan Moore is also a very big Lovecraftian fan. Oh, has yeah. done, mm-hmm. yeah, and he's very into magic. You know, I'm excited. I'm. Has he said, like, because I know he's repeatedly said Dunwich Horror is next, but he never said what's going to be the third film, right? He's. It, in in like, that interview with Garris, he's, he he yeah. kind of says he he can't talk about it, but it, something alluding right, to right. the fact of sort of like it, it is exactly what we think it's going to be, which probably means Cthulhu. I'd have to imagine. I would think it has to be the you know yeah, the, yeah it has to be like it's not going to be at the Mountains of Madness because that's too well yeah and and that one would need to be done with a lot of money behind it. I mean yes oh yeah definitely. Color Out of Space only costs about six million dollars domestically. Right. It's made I'd say less than two hundred thousand. Yeah, it hasn't made much. We're 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 a little part of that, but it's it's also done well with streaming. And I'll be honest, I already pre-ordered the Blu-ray. I, and I think also, if you're going to do a story like this, which has some magical psychedelic elements, mm-hmm. you're going to want Richard Stanley, who added that to the Color Out of Space, um, in a weird way. And I, I was actually thinking about this, and I wanted to to bring it up to you. We yeah. mentioned on the Color Out of Space episode, there's that weird flash to kind of like what seems like this strange mountain off in space and this weird i think just re i think reading more i think what it's supposed to be which lends more credence to the idea that he's going to do the call of cthulhu eventually i think it's mm. supposed to be a mountain which is brought up in 
the story of the dream quest of the unknown Kadath, which is like oh. Kadath is, I think, supposed to be like the planet where allegedly these elder gods came from. Right. Um, so I huh. think I think that's what it's supposed to be a flash of. But once again, only one of those things that you'd understand if you've, you know, read the stuff and know what he's talking about, basically. That's cool. Yeah, no, see, and I kind of like that. Like, see, that's a smart way to implant like a little seed, so to speak, you know, of like this bigger picture. Anything else about uh, about uh, the Dunwich Horror slash which is the darkest evil before we wrap up, James? No, I well, the one thing. Why is it called Witches, the Darkest Evil? <laughs> There's no witches. That was the Dunwich Horror slash Witches, the Darkest Evil, which I'm not even 100% <laughs> sure if it's Witches or Witches, the Darkest Evil, because if you just type or, in Witches in yeah, IMDb, this one comes up. It does come up. Or it's also known as H.P. Lovecraft's Witches, the Darkest Evil in some places. I'm like, no. It's like H.P. Lovecraft's Bride of Reanimator. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, like, oh, right, that book he never wrote. Okay, mm, cool. Yeah, no. Uh, but <laughs> if uh, if you have any any comments, if you're one of the, the people on IMDb that rated this uh, 5 out of 10 stars because it's actually yes. a pretty good adaptation, um, feel free to email us, moviesofmadness Thanks. at gmail.com. I am uh, Nolan Fixes Teeth on Twitter, James is Fistful of Media, and we are both Cast Cthulhu. Um, Spread the news on of the Facebook page. You know, we, we're we're always trying to, you know, we're posting some fun things there, whether it's Lovecraft-related, horror-related, whatever. Um, but yeah, come check us out. And before we sign off, this is obviously the time where we say what we're going to be covering next time. But next time is going to look a little bit different. I am, of course, um, getting married in March. I've brought this up on this podcast before. So I am taking kind of a break from Cast of Cthulhu from I Do Movies Badly for the month of March just to kind of prepare if there's any last-minute stuff and also just to, you know, not have to worry about um, supplemental work I have to do leading up to it. So I will be taking a break for the month of March, but uh, James might uh, might be carrying on on his own for a little bit. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll announce more close to that, like, where we're going to be going. But, like, yeah, like, might have some guest stars just to do a few episodes and kind of go see if they could survive these adaptations or if they will succumb to the old ones as well. <laughs> the, uh, the Eldritor that will uh, ultimately enrapture yeah. their, their beings, but exactly. Yeah. So stay tuned to the Facebook page. Uh, stay tuned to the Twitter account to just kind of see what's been going on, or I should say what will be going on. Uh, you will be missing my dulcet tones for the months of March, but uh, uh, James's enthusiasm would still be with us, and then we'll be yes. back uh, together as a team in April. But um, until then, we will be uh, waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. Really, uh...